is nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. We can change the focus to a soft blur or sharpen it to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limits. There's another name you'll be hearing quite often throughout the Outer Limits podcast. That name is Reba A. Wisner. Not only is she a professor, musicologist, and freelance editor, she is also the author of We Will Control All That You Hear, The Outer Limits and the Aural Imagination, which is about the music of the show and how it enhances and interacts with what we see and hear on screen. I'm having such a good time reading this book Coming on the heels of last episode's music, the music from this series is heavily on my mind. So Miss Wisner's book is definitely going to be referenced heavily in episodes to come. We've actually spoke briefly on Twitter, and she's expressed interest in appearing on the show, which I'm very excited for, because she has a way of discussing music that is both earnest and enthralling. I can't wait to hear what she has to say about the outer limits, as well as the music from the series. That, and she also strikes me as probably the nicest human being on the planet. So I'm very much looking forward to having her on the show in the very near future. If someone were to ask you if you consider yourself a good person, what would your response be? What makes a good person anyway? Perhaps being charitable and helpful to those in need? Or maybe something as simple as being kind to those you encounter on a daily basis? Whatever we personally believe, I'm sure most of us think we are all good, kind folks. But that's not to say we don't get upset from time to time. We've all had those moments where we may be running late, and the car ahead of us maybe isn't moving as fast as we'd like them to. Or maybe we don't step on the accelerator the instant the light turns green, so we get honked at and cut off. In these instances, we're not thinking about being the change we want to see in the world. Instead, for that split second, our id takes over and we respond with aggression. More often than not, we recompose ourselves and carry on about the day. But what if for that split second of emotional impulse, physical harm would come to those who upset us? No matter how much we may try to live a peaceful life, at the end of the day, we're all human and we have that aggression within us. So if such a power were given to our subconscious, there would be no control over it and the destruction will continue and ultimately lead to our annihilation. Now as always, I will be spoiling tonight's episode, so if you haven't seen The Man with the Power, you can find it streaming on Hulu or on DVD through Amazon. Something you might notice from the beginning of tonight's episode is that it's the first to use a clip from the body of the episode before the opening titles. This was used to give a tease for the excitement to come in that particular episode. Also making its debut this episode is the shortened introduction by the control voice. This was done to keep things moving and get on with the episode. So with that, let's let Vic Perrin's control voice bring us into tonight's episode, The Man with the Power. 
In the course of centuries, man has devoured the earth itself. The machine age has dried up the seas of oil. Industry has consumed the heartlands of coal. The atomic age has plundered the rare elements, uranium, cobalt, plutonium, leaving behind worthless deposits of lead and ashes. Starvation is at hand. Only here, in the void of space, is there a new source of atomic power. Above us, in the debris of the solar system, in the meteorites and asteroids, are the materials needed to drive the reactors. Yet, in their distant, silent orbits, these chunks of matter are beyond the reach of man, beyond the reach of human hands, but not beyond the reach of the human mind. Driving along a country road in an ordinary car, is a modest man, Harold J. Finley, quiet and profound. First broadcast on October 7, 1963, written by Jerome Ross and directed by Laszlo Benedict, who will return to direct season two episode Wolf 359. I always love the control voices introductions, but I really like the one delivered in tonight's episode. The world set up in the intro is as bleak as the tone as Vic Perrin's delivery. Once the intro is finished, we've already got that uneasy feeling in the pit of our stomachs. It's set in the future, but there isn't anything that would really suggest that. But then again, if the world had indeed utilized most of its resources, then maybe there wouldn't be much in terms of technological progress. Right away the episode hits the ground running, and we meet Harold J. Finley en route to work, only to find that tree trimmers have blocked his path. I move over a bit, can't you? Why don't you turn around and go the other way? Well, that, that takes me 12 miles out of my way. Then just wait till we're finished. Are you looking for trouble, Mac? Greatly annoyed, Harold reverses his car and takes the other road. He wipes sweat from his brow and we notice a scar along the top of his forehead. It's at this moment that Dominic Frontier's music begins to swell, and a cloud of cosmic dust and bolts of energy begins to manifest near the tree trimmers. They're startled and attempt to flee, but it's too late for them, as they are struck by a bolt of energy and are reduced to a pile of fiery ashes. Harold is oblivious to all of this, as he continues to drive along the alternate route. Harold J. Finley is played by actor Donald Pleasance, who appeared in many films such as All Quiet on the Western Front, Dario Argento's Phenomena, and even made a stop in the Twilight Zone as Professor Ellis Fowler in the episode The Changing of the Guard. To many, he is best known as Dr. Sam Loomis from John Carpenter's Halloween, but he will always be the first person I think of when I hear the name of Ernst Stavro Blofeld from the James Bond franchise. It's hard to imagine this story with a different actor in the lead role. As you watch this episode, I want you to pay close attention to Donald Pleasance's facial expressions. He sells every emotion, and yes, you can say he's an actor, that's his job, but Pleasance has this quality about him that draws you in. And the particular way he emotes with his facial expressions, body language, and even tone of voice really make you believe his character. The following morning, we meet Harold's wife, Vera. You can tell that Vera has been there for Harold at some point in the past but her patience has dwindled to the point of disinterest with Harold's life. Harold is still ambitious and wants to contribute to the space program. There's a nobility in his desire, but Vera is blind to all of this. 
In fact, she thinks Harold's time is better spent attending to household needs. Harold! It's 20 minutes past eight. There are no classes for me this morning. I got somebody filling in for me. I'm uh, driving over to Reedsville. Oh, now, don't tell me you're pestering those space people again. You tried to get a job with them last year. They told you they need research scientists. Good ones. I have more to offer now. Yes, you're a year older. Sometimes a man tries to climb out of the rut he's in. I'm sick of teaching at a second-rate college. Did you fix the faucet in the upstairs bathroom? Yes. Yesterday, when you asked me to. Dear, I really mustn't stand here talking. Now, if we step back for a moment, Harold's pro-space attitude reflects the feeling of the time. The space race was very much on the public radar. Beginning with the Soviet Union launching Sputnik in 1957, and the U.S. response with the launching of Explorer 1 a year later. By the time this episode was filmed in 1963, NASA's budget and staff increased significantly, and the race to conquer the stars was underway so viewers of the episode could identify with Harold's feelings towards the space program. We enter a boardroom where heads of the space program are meeting with a Washington representative. Valuable resources are out there. They're simply unobtainable through conventional means. Facing the closure of their program, they bring Harold J. Finley into the room. Gentlemen, you've met Mr. Harold J. Finley. Mr. Finley's a college professor. He's been studying the electromagnetic field phenomena. He and I have been working together on a possible solution. Now, I want you to see this. I think he's discovered a means of gravity control, far beyond any power we know. This fragment was found near Redlands, Texas. The metallic structure has been fused and compressed to a weight of over half a ton. Mr. Finley? Finley focuses on the meteorite and is able to levitate it across the room before dropping it on the floor. Sadly, this is an instance where high-definition screens pull back the curtain and spoil the illusion. You can see fishing wires lifting the meteorite, which is fine, you know, it's to be expected really when watching older programming such as this with modern televisions. That old TV grain is gone, and effects whose tricks were easily concealed are now in plain sight. It's just one of those things I guess you just have to accept. Tell him how you do it, Finley. I, uh, I have developed a, a link gate, complex enough to regulate the forces of the field energy surrounding us. These waves are, are all around us now, like uh, radio waves, television channels, x-rays, and so on the entire electromagnetic flux. I have no actual power myself. By using my brain patterns as a sort of focusing device, I'm able to direct electromagnetic field energy into a discrete beam. It's rather as though my brain were a lens focusing light waves into a sharp line. If they're able to control the power, they want to implant a device into one of their astronauts to slow asteroids enough to be loaded onto shuttles and brought back to Earth. Project psychologist Dr. Hinman shares some concerns with Finley. Tell me, what made you take the chance? 
I mean, why risk your life in a major brain operation? Well, it was because I wanted to work with you people here on the project. You're aware, of course, that the human brain contains more than just scanning waves, axions, synapses? Yes, sir, I, I'm very well aware of that. These mechanical aspects contain the human mind, the emotions, our hates and fears. It holds dark secrets locked in the closets of our memory. Strange urges, strange drives that our conscious egos are not even aware of. What will happen if they, too, begin to get control over massive amounts of electromagnetic power? Dr. Hinman is played by actor John Marley, who Twilight Zone fans may recognize from the episode Kick the Can. His concerns are valid. We all have secrets locked away in the recesses of our minds. And if those subconscious thoughts or feelings could harness electromagnetic power, we wouldn't have any way to control or prevent the havoc that it would cause. So maybe the risks of going through with this project are beginning to outweigh the rewards. Okay, I want you to pay attention to Donald Pleasance's performance in this next clip. Harold is riding such a high. He just saved the space program from cancellation and has been praised for his bravery in voluntarily undergoing such a risky procedure. He's excited to share the news with his wife, but she couldn't care any less. Are you telling me they actually want to pay you? Yes, twice the salary I'm getting at the college. They want to make me an official member of the research team. Are they trying not to catch up with the Russians? Happily, not everybody has your exalted opinion of me. I don't get it. I bet you're making it up. You've been acting funny ever since that brain operation last winter. Vera, I, I never told you the truth about the brain operation. Oh? No, you see, I, I, I've in, invented an energy link, sub-miniature, controlling a cosmic voltage. You're, you're not listening. Oh, you know how technical talk bores me. You were saying your operation. Oh, doesn't matter. We'll have to sell this house. What? Yes, of course, if we're moving over to Reedsville. I'm not moving over to Reedsville. You want me to stay a worm, don't you? An unimportant, unproductive classroom worm. Some women take their husband's hands and say, together we'll climb to the stars. Not you. Never you. Listen to Donald Pleasance's voice as the scene goes on. You can hear the dejection slowly creep in, the tone of his voice. If you're watching, pay close attention to his eyes as their expression gradually shift as the scene progresses. This is why I can't see anyone else on this role. That small moment steals the entire episode for me. I love it so much. Finley heads over to the university and tells Dean Ratcliffe that he needs another professor to take his place at the university. His role in the program is demanding more of his time, but the Dean denies his request and holds him to the contract they agreed upon. Disappointed, Harold leaves the office, heads down the hall, and pauses for a moment and is in deep thought. Just then, an energy cloud begins to form in Dean Radcliffe's office, and the ceiling collapses. Finley hears this and rushes back to the office and finds it filled with debris from the collapsed ceiling. The next day, Harold is testing his power at the program facility. He begins with half concentration and the electrometer dials turn about halfway before settling back to zero. Harold then applied full concentration and the electrometer dials begin to spin. A nearby steel rod begins to bend and warp until resting in a twisted shape. Everyone is pleased. 
It seems as though Finley's growing more powerful each time they test him. Once the testing is finished, a young man introduces himself to Finley. Mr. Finley, have you got a minute? Yes. My name is Steve Crandon. I volunteered for the operation. I don't know whether they'll pick me, but whoever they select, you're going to be right along in that capsule with them. All of them. Uh, in spirit, I mean. That's very gratifying. It's very gratifying indeed. I, I'm... I'm honored. Oh, no, sir. We're the ones that are honored. You risked your life. You were first. You know, you astronauts have brought a whole new vitality to bear on the business of living. There's been nothing like you since the old pioneering days. Oh, thank you, sir. But you make up for all the miseries and disappointments and failures and kicks in the teeth that the rest of us have to bear. Failure? You? Just do me one favor. Don't wait until you're my age to make your mark. Do it while you're young and strong and vigorous. Do it right now. I hope you don't mind this bit of fatherly advice. I don't mind at all, sir. Don't let them crush you. Crush me? You married? No, sir, not yet. But I have the proverbial girl back home. What does she feel about your work here? She thinks it's fine. Good. Uh, Mr. Finley, are there... Uh... Any after effects? What? Oh, you mean the, uh, the operation? Uh, the f a few headaches, naturally, but they soon disappear. It's a fascinating concept. The human brain acting as a control center. Having enough cosmic energy to blow half the world off the map. Pow! It's <laughs> a good thing we're both peace-loving citizens. Yes, sir. Are you free for dinner? You can see Finley's admiration for astronauts in this scene. He has a tremendous amount of respect for them, and you can tell by the look in his eyes as he speaks to Steve Crandon. Finley invites him over for dinner, but they arrive to find Vera angrily cleaning the windows. She's not impressed by Mr. Crandon and is mad at Harold for not coming home earlier to help clean the windows. Mr. Crandon offers to come by another time and speaks with Harold. The music begins to swell, drowning out all dialogue, and Vera is flung from the ladder. Later, she is being treated in her home. She insists that she was pulled from the ladder. Harold insists that she was alone and that it was impossible for her to be pulled off. Just then, Dean Ratcliffe calls. He calls Harold on breaking their agreement. He doesn't want Harold diverting his attention to anything other than teaching at the university. Harold wants a chance to plead his case, and they agree to meet first thing in the morning. Finley is very upset when he hangs up the phone. At that moment, an energy cloud begins to form, and Harold notices it this time before it disappears. We then cut to Dean Radcliffe's bedroom, and we get the teaser scene from the intro. The energy cloud forms overhead in Radcliffe's room. He screams in terror as bolts of energy strike him and disintegrate him. The next morning, Radcliffe's wife is describing to detectives what had transpired the night before, when Finley arrives and hears her story. He recognizes what she's describing, and is unsettled and in disbelief. We cut to the test facility and once again Harold is showing more and more power. Keenan is astounded. He sees all the potential benefits of Harold's link gate power. Harold is beginning to feel uneasy about the project and you can certainly see it in his face. He meets with Dr. Hinman and the two exchange words. Would you say that it's possible that my emotions could 
change the character of these waves. Well, that's the point I made the first day you were here. The force is constant, but it can be misguided. Since the beginning of time, men have believed in the possibility of projecting evil thoughts. Well, now we know that the thought process can really exercise control over an electromagnetic force. And this control can use these powers to evil ends. Then we can project destruction. Very possibly. But not if I didn't want to, not subconsciously. Have you ever been under analysis, Mr. Finley? No. I never thought it would help me. For all you know, there may be a hidden side to your nature. Could be a mass of hostile urges, bitterness, resentment against this person or that. You mean I might want to hurt somebody? I, I might even want to kill him. Or her. Without my even realizing it. We all suffer the slings and arrows of an outraged subconscious. Now, Harold is visibly shaken as he heads home. He sits down near Vera and begins to speak. I killed him. You what? And you were right about the ladder. You were pulled off it and thrown down. I did it. Have you gone out of your mind? You were home when the dean... You weren't near the ladder when I... I can be a hundred miles away and still control matter. Here, I never told you the truth about my operation, about this brain operation. It's, it's given me a, a terrible power. I could move mountains. I could destroy the world. But Vera doesn't believe him. She thinks he's losing it from overworking and getting little sleep. This greatly frustrates Harold and a large energy cloud begins forming in the living room, which causes pictures to fly off the walls and across the room. Harold struggles but is finally able to stop the energy clouds before anything worse can happen. He rushes over to Vera who is visibly shaken. Don't hate me. Please don't hate me. I don't hate you. Don't kill me, Harold. Don't kill me. Please, don't say that. You're going to. I know it. Please. Don't touch me. What do you want me to say? I believe you. Yes, I believe you. I've been wrong. You have power. I've been a bad wife. I've hurt you. I've hated you. I admit it, I've hated you. Vera. You wanted a child. I didn't want to give you a child. I didn't want to have you as the father of my child. Stop. Vera. I'll do anything you want. Anything. I want you to ask people to the house. From now on, it'll all be different, Harold. Anything to make you stop hating me. You've got to give me another chance. Don't kill me, Harold. Don't. I don't seem to be able to help myself. The next day, Steve Crandon is being prepared for the Linkgate operation. Harold tries desperately to talk him out of it, but Crandon still wants to go through with it. Finley begs the team to pull the plug on the operation, but is told that surgery will commence and there isn't anything he can do about it. As they're telling him this, they give him a shot, which knocks him out. As the surgery begins, Harold lays in the adjacent room, still out. He begins to squirm a bit as a large energy cloud forms over the surgical suite. Keenan, as well as the surgeon, are killed. Harold awakens and enters the room and is shocked by what he is witnessing. 
if I have such power, then I don't want to live. His stare is focused, and he remains still as he is engulfed by bolts of energy and is vaporized. The surgical team removes Crandon as the control voice takes us out. Deep behind the kindest, gentlest soul may lurk violent thoughts, deadly wishes. Someday men may learn how to cope with the monsters of the mind. Then, and only then, when the human mind is truly in control of itself, can we begin to utilize the great and hidden powers of the universe. I like to believe that we're all good people, but the control voice is right. We all grapple with our own demons. I'm not saying we all want to kill each other or anything. I'm just saying that no matter how kind and gentle we are the majority of the time, we do have that split second of anger. If we can conquer that, then we can advance greatly in understanding ourselves as well as the universe we are a part of. Then we can advance greatly in understanding ourselves as well as the universe we are a part of. You know, overall, I enjoyed the episode. I think Donald Pleasance's performance is what makes this episode for me. If it were someone else in the role, then maybe I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much as I did. But at the end of the day, I think it's a fine episode. There isn't much in terms of trivia for this episode. Most of the music from this episode comes from the galaxy being and the architects of fear, with the exception of Finley's power sequences. And we will control all that you hear, the outer limits and the aural imagination, Reba Wissner writes. Finley's manifestation of power is a dark lightning cloud. Musically, Frontier relies on his stock cloud cues as the musical embodiment of his power. For example, Ugly Cloud Number 6, the most frequently used of the five cloud cues, represents Finley's cognitive energy as it overtakes his words. We can clearly hear the music and see his lips moving. As the cue continues, more notes and instruments become stacked on top of one another, creating an almost cacophonous sound. And finally, this episode featured a few actors who also appeared in the Twilight Zone. Paul Lambert was in the Twilight Zone episode, King Nine Will Not Return. Fred Bear was in the Twilight Zone episode, Death Ship. And James McCallan played reporter number two in the Twilight Zone episode, Where Is Everybody? Now at the time of recording our last episode, I was pleasantly surprised to have received an iTunes rating. Since recording that episode, the show has gotten five reviews and ratings, including our first iTunes UK review. In all honesty, I was speechless. To receive so much support this early on is incredibly heartwarming. And I can't tell you how grateful I am for you guys taking the time to rate and review the show. So I just want to say thank you to Captain Zap, Dogboy443, Alien Mojo, Obsessive Viewer slash Anthology Pods, which are two great podcasts, by the way. And the champion of human existence himself, Chris Clayton, who left the show's first UK review. Thank you all so very much. I received an email from Chris. Not Chris Clayton, but a different Chris. And he had some nice things to say, and shared his take on the galaxy being as well. He writes, Victor. Thank you for starting the Outer Limits podcast. This is an excellent idea and fills a niche. I've been surprised that for so long there was not an Outer Limits podcast, considering the quality of the show and its connection to Star Trek and other sci-fi shows of the era. 
After listening to the first episode, you are off to a great start. Definitely looking forward to what you have to say. Can you comment on the odd cold opening for the Galaxy Bean? As I recall, it's Cliff Robertson fiddling with a radio for a couple of minutes with little context or narration. Always struck me as a little odd, as if they had to fill a couple of minutes. That said, the story does indeed set up a sympathetic monster as the archetype, the judge, healer, and mentor of humanity. One that humanity ultimately rejects. It reminds me conceptually very much of the visitor in the Twilight Zone episode, The Gift. Cliff Robertson serves as a prophetic figure, a mediator between this otherworldly visitor and his transcendent powers and message, and a fearful, unworthy humanity that attacks what it does not understand. These messages found not just in Galaxy Being, but throughout the series, of humility and of human compassion, of listening and understanding and reconciling, are really timely to our day and age of divisive media and louder-than-life personalities. Together with the shrinking of voluntary communities, and the increasing cynicism about society specifically and humanity in general. Also, I was pleased to hear about your excitement for viewing both Soldier and Demon in a Glass Hand. Both are excellent. Demon for my money is possibly the best hour of television I've watched. I'd put it up against any other episode of the series, any Star Trek episode of any series, or Sterling's legendary patterns pre-TZ teleplay, all of which I enjoy and appreciate. That's not to take anything away from any of these series. But that episode really is fantastic. Chris. Thank you, Chris. I'm not 100% sure, but I think they added the cold open in syndication to fill time. I really like your comparison to The Gift. I rewatched that episode shortly after reading your email, and you're spot on, my friend. You're spot on. I shudder to think how society today would react in a similar scenario. I can't wait to get to Demon and Soldier. I've seen pieces of Soldier, but I honestly can't remember much of it. I'm more pumped to see Demon now that you've given it such high praise. I've actually got Sterling's patterns coming in the mail soon, so when the time comes, I'll keep that in mind. Finally, I'm glad you mentioned the series Star Trek Connections. I've got a list of a few already, and I'm going to try to point them out as I come across them. So thank you, Chris. And if you'd like to share your take or comment on a particular episode, you can email the show at victor at theouterlimitspodcast.com. So that's going to wrap things up for now, my friends. You can find the show on iTunes or over on the mothership that is the thetwilightzonepodcast.com. You can follow the show on Twitter, at Outer Limits Pod. So join me next time when I cover episode 5 of season 1 titled, The Sixth Finger. Until that time, I am Victor Gamboa, and I now return control to you.